So an author named Elaine de Botton did what authors do. He went out to watch people. And everyone knows the best people-watching place on earth is the airport. Maybe the mall, the mall's good, but the airport's probably better. So he went to uh, London's Heathrow Airport, and he positioned himself at the place where people were getting off the plane and where people were coming to meet them. And so I've never been to Heathrow Airport, but I picture Austin Airport where there's the escalator and people are coming down and you can wait for them there. So he watched, and he saw that they were people with flowers and people with signs, welcoming, looking for someone. And then he noticed something. Every person coming off the plane, coming into the baggage area, every person was looking around. Is there someone here for me? And he found that interesting because most people don't get met at the airport. Most people go rent a car or they go back to their car in the parking lot. Most of them should have known that there would be no one there for them. But there's something in us, a longing that says, is anyone coming for me? Is anyone here for me? Is there anyone out there who loves me, who's coming to save me? And so that's what Advent is all about, recognizing our human longing for a Savior, remembering that we have a Savior, remembering that Jesus was born and that Jesus promised to come again. And so we're not stuck here alone. We can look out and say, is anyone coming? And know that, yes, someone is. Someone has come and will come again. And so to Next week, we'll tell the story of the baby born in the manger. But people of faith know that the story didn't start there. The story started at the beginning of time, that that God has always been among us, that at creation, the Spirit was hovering over the water. And so we see God not just in the manger, but all throughout the Old Testament. That, That presence, that Christ presence there showing up, And if you want to just break my heart, tell me that you think the Old Testament is boring because that makes me cry. So today we have one of those stories, the story where we we see a Christ-like figure in Abigail. And so it's kind of long. Here we go. But before we go into this story, um, I want you to imagine a, um, a hurricane with wind blowing all around. Because this woman, Abigail, basically lived in a crazy hurricane. So if you want to stay entertained whenever you see some craziness going on in the story, you can just do a little crazy hurricane. Um, Because maybe some of you know what life in a crazy hurricane is like. Maybe. So here we go. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him at his home in Ramah. So here's a little wind of the crazy hurricane because, um, yeah, go for it, Jacob. Um, Samuel was the prophet, and he was the conscience of the nation. He was what was called a seer. He could see. He could also hear. From the time he was a young child, he could hear God's voice as if it was a human voice. And so he would tell the people, thus says the Lord. For, for 70 years, he was, he was their prophet. He, he acted as a, as a leader before they had a king. They knew they could trust him. They knew he spoke the word of God. 
And so when the people wanted a king, he anointed Saul. That kind of went south. He anointed David. But the people, even though they had a king, they looked to Samuel as the voice of God. And so when Samuel died, who is going to be the voice of God for us? A little bit unstable. Now David got up and went down to the wilderness of Paran. A little more crazy happening here. What is the anointed king doing in the wilderness? Well, he had been anointed, but he was not yet king. Saul was still on the throne. And so David was, was beloved of Saul, but Saul began to get very jealous of young David. David uh, killed Goliath when he was young. He also went out and, and fought with um, his army. And there was even a song that people would sing. David killed, or Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. How do you think that made Saul feel? And so Saul became increasingly um, what looks like mental illness. And he tried to kill David more than once. And David escaped. David was able, he had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he didn't take that opportunity because he knew that Saul was still God's anointed. And so there was great tension. So Samuel dies, things get unstable. David and his army go out into the wilderness and camp out there. Now, I know um, what men can be like when they're out camping on their own. When I go out of town, my husband basically eats nachos for almost every meal. He just takes whatever's in the fridge and makes nachos out of it. Um, he's a great cook, but when I'm gone, he just says, I'm batching it, and he eats nachos. So David, in the wilderness, eating nachos, right? There was a man in Mayon whose property was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. Now, you may not know this, but there's some crazy going on here because it's sheep shearing season. That was big. That took a lot of work. They didn't have electric shears. It was all done by hand. So they had to get a lot of laborers. They had a lot of people around, a lot of people to feed. All of that wool, all these thousands of sheep meant a lot of money, a lot of income. So it was a time of celebration. And so for Abigail, that meant she had a lot of work to do. Think Christmas Eve when everybody's coming to your house, right? So, so that was kind of crazy all on its own. The other thing you might not realize about this is the name Nabal. It has Semitic roots. The, the meaning of the word in Semitic is adept. You know, the guy knew what he was doing. But in Hebrew, this word, Nabal, means fool. The guy's name was Dodo, okay? You know where this is going. The woman was clever and beautiful, or intelligent and beautiful, but the man was surly and mean. He was a Calebite. You ever seen these really mismatched marriages where you're like, why are you together? It was one of those. The other thing, in case you don't speak Hebrew, Calebite means he was from the line of Caleb. He was uh, descended from Caleb. But also, that word in that form can also mean dog face. So, we're dealing with dog face dodo. You with me? David, was heard in the David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing sheep. Uh -huh, Christmas Eve, hey, festival time. 
So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. Thus you shall salute him, peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. They missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your sight, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servant and to your son David. Now, this is a, a, a pretty reasonable request. We're out here, we're on your property, we're taking care of things, we're hungry, you have food. It was part of the culture that you're wandering around the desert, that, that people take care of each other and feed each other. And so a lot of commentaries I read praised King David and said he had every right to ask this. And then some other commentaries I read, you ever think, like, how are we reading the same Bible? Said that this was more like mafia, some nice sheep you have out there. It'd be a shame if anything happened to them. <laughs> Either way, David asked this question. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. What are you going to do? There were 600 of them, a lot of mouths to feed. But Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have butchered for my shares and give it to men from I don't know where? Now this is kind of ridiculous. He knew who David was. Everybody knew who David was. Remember the song? Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. He knew who he was. He knew he was the son of Jesse. He knew he was the anointed king. He's just kind of being a jerk. He's just deciding that he doesn't have to share. And maybe he looked at his thousands of goats and all of that wool that was piling up, and he thought, I've got a lot of money. I don't need to answer to anybody. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all of this. David said to his men, every man strap on a sword. I'm so disappointed that Thomas's kids are sick today because, well, his daughter's named Abigail and his son loves swords. So I was like, man, there's swords today. This is an action movie. Every man strap on their sword. The camera pans to the 600 men with their swords. The camera zooms in on David. And David is thinking and remembering that day when Samuel anointed him king. He passed over every one of his older brothers and poured that oil on him. I'm anointed of God. Don't you insult me. And then the camera pans to Nabal. And maybe they kind of look alike. They're kinsmen. And isn't it interesting that sometimes the ugliest battles happen among brothers, family members? Now, every one of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. That's how I knew there was 600. I can do a little bit of math. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers out in the wilderness to salute our master, and he shouted insults at them. 
Yet the men were very good to us. We suffered no harm. We never missed anything when they were in the fields as long as we were with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and day. All the while, um, we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For evil has been decided against our master and against all his house. He is so ill-natured that no one can speak to him. This woman is in a gigantic, crazy hurricane. And sometimes when you're in a crazy hurricane and everything's going wrong, you can say to yourself, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and just let it all work out. But often there comes a moment like this one when the servant says, know this and consider what to do, that you have to make a decision. You have to do something. You can't just stand there anymore. You can't ignore it. You can't hope it goes away. It's, it's time for you to make a decision. And so she could have gone to run and hide. She could have protected herself and maybe a few favorite servants. She could have gone to her husband. She could have just decided to keep staying there and see what happens and pray she doesn't die. But either way, she had a choice to make in the middle of a crazy hurricane. And I keep going back to this image. If any of you were with me at the women's retreat, Cindy Goldsberry gave a beautiful talk about her life and her experience. She was in a car accident that took her husband's life and almost took her life and gave her injuries that, that she's still dealing with. But she, like Abigail, is a woman of intelligence and beauty and grace, and she just... Has, has lived through it. And so at the retreat, she talked about being in the eye of the storm and that even though things are swirling around you, when you have God, you can have the peace of the eye of the storm to be able to be peace in the midst of it. There may be things swirling around, but it's almost as if you have something in your pocket that brings a little circle of peace and a wall of protection around you. And you can take that with you. And so those of us that were there will never forget that story of, of being in the middle of the crazy hurricane and yet having enough peace to radiate out. And that was Abigail in this situation. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep ready-dressed, five measures of parched grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs. She loaded them on donkeys and said to her young men, go on ahead of me, I'm coming after you. So y'all know I love my props. I really wanted to try to get 200 loaves of bread, and you know, we'd have to do something with all that wine afterwards, right? But anyway, this is about as good as I can do. But you can imagine the bounty that this woman gathered up. And then I love this part. She didn't tell her husband. <laughs> As she rode the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, David and his men came down toward her. And she met them. I think about that line in Psalm 23, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. You were with me. I picture her in this mountain valley, and she knows when she comes out, she's going to be seen. And she knows that when they see her, they may just chop her head off and take the food. I can't overstate how brave, bold, courageous this move was. 
I think of the line from Lord of the Rings, one does not simply walk into Mordor. I mean, you don't just walk into an army that all has swords when you're representing, you know, the other side. Now David had said, surely it was in vain that I protected all this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed by all that belonged to him. But he has returned me evil for good. God do so to David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all that belonged to him. I'm going to kill everybody, says David. And here comes Abigail with her little fig cakes. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from the donkey and fell before David on her face, bowing to the ground. She humbled herself. She fell at his feet and said, Upon me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Upon me alone be the guilt. Where have we heard that before? Isaiah talks about the coming Messiah, and he says um, that, that he will bear our griefs, he will bear our burdens, the suffering servant, and by his stripes we are healed. So Abigail in this moment is a Christ figure. She didn't do anything wrong, but she comes in and says, let the guilt be on me. I'll take it. My Lord, do not take seriously this ill-natured fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. I love this. You know, my husband's a fool, okay? Let's just all admit this. And I don't know if you're a Democrat or a Republican or something in between, but we seem to have a bad habit of when the person on our team does something dumb, we find ways to excuse it. Or our own family member does something hideous, but we love that person, so we find ways to excuse it. Instead of saying, that's wrong, and I'm going to call it out, even if it hurts my side. And so Abigail calls it out. My husband acted like a fool. And I'm sure in that moment, she didn't know where her loyalty should lie. She didn't know how this would work out. She just told the truth and was willing to take what came with it. And so she says... Um, I, your servant, did not see the young men, my Lord, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, since the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, you haven't killed anybody yet, in other words, and from taking vengeance with your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be like Nabal. Now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord, except my gift. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If anyone should rise up and pursue you to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of the living under the care of the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. This can be a little hard to follow because she talks about the Lord and she calls David my Lord. But basically what she's doing is giving this man a blessing. And she, she says, may all your enemies be like a rock that's shot out of a slingshot and away from you. And what an image to tell David who killed Goliath with his little slingshot. She gives him a blessing and I absolutely love this line. May, may your life be bound in the bundle of the living. 
I just want to walk around and tell people that from now on. May your life be bound up in the bundle of the living. Isn't that a great blessing, a beautiful blessing that she gives this man who was just drooling, ready to kill everybody in her house? May your life be bound up in the bundle of the living. When the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for having saved himself. So I love this. She's acting like he's already decided not to kill anybody. See, now that you're not, you, you're not going to kill anybody, when you're king, you're not going to have blood on your hands. You're not going to be guilty. Won't it be great, David, when you don't kill anybody? She's so smart. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Oh, yeah, and when this all works out, remember who fixed it. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Blessed be your good sense, and blessed be you who kept me today from blood guilt and from avenging myself by my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there would not have been left to Nabal so much as one male. David realizes in this moment that Abigail has just saved him. She saved him from his anger. She saved him from his pride. She saved him from his impulsiveness by looking at him and saying, David, you're better than this. Then David received from her hand what she brought him and said to her, go up to your house in peace. See, I have heeded your voice. I have granted your petition. Abigail came to Nabal. He was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Okay. The woman just risked her life, saved her people. She deserves a parade. And she comes home, and he's drunk, and he doesn't even know what's happened. That happens sometimes. We do something courageous. We do something that costs us a lot. We do something that people should notice and no one notices or cares, even maybe the people closest to us. I thank God that God notices and cares, and history remembers this woman. So he was drunk, so she told him nothing at all till the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him. He became like a stone. I think this is biblical language for the man had a stroke. Then 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has judged the case of Nabal's insult to me and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has returned the evil doings of Nabal upon his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail to make her his wife. When David's servants came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. And so the story has a happy ending. And so we'll get ready to sing, and, and um, the musicians will, will get ready, because yay, the story has a happy ending. It will accept, you know, David had a whole bunch of other wives, and a bunch of other things happened. But there was Abigail, peace in that storm.
showing us a glimpse of Christ, making it right in that moment, saving those people until Christ came to save us all. And so we remember peace in this time of year. We remember that peace begins with us. We remember to keep watching and waiting like the people waiting for a flight, waiting for those that will meet them after a flight, that that God is with us, that works with us, and we can be peace in the middle of a crazy hurricane. Amen? Amen.